Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angela Bagley. And I'm Nate Bagley. As Mormons, we believe that the most important thing in life is family. And the backbone of your family is your marriage. So on this podcast, we're going to talk with Mormon couples and relationship experts who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity. We would love it if you subscribe to the show and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas that can help us make it even better. All right, Nate, tell me about this week's episode. This week's episode features Zach and Annie Oates. Yes. And Zach and Annie were introduced to us through our good friend Nat Harward. Thank you, Nat. And I, I love, I truly, truly love Zach and Annie. From the moment they walked into our house to do this interview, I was like, okay, these are my people. <laughs> and then we had this interview and they share this idea that we have as well, but I was glad to have it reaffirmed. And I think it's going to be really inspiring to a lot of people who listen that marriage, regardless of the phase that you're in, can be exciting and can be fun and can be... Um, like rejuvenating and it could be adventurous and they just, they just refuse to settle for boring and they Mm -hmm. refuse to settle for like they recently had a kid, their first child and everybody's like, Oh, when you have your first kid, man, your life just gets put on hold and you can't do certain stuff anymore. And they freaking went to, where did they go? Uh, Panama Panama for new years and with their newborn. Yeah. With their newborn child. And they're like, you know what? We're going to, we're going to have fun regardless of what, of what stage of life that we're Mm -hmm. in. And I just really, I really, I think there's a lot of people who feel like they have to give up freedom when they get married. And Zach and Annie are proof that your life can actually be enriched and even better and more fun when you get married than, than it was when it was single. Right. The attitude that they have about marriage is just really contagious. And I've loved getting to know them afterwards and spending time with them afterwards. For those of you who don't know Zach and Annie, Zach is a writer, he's an entrepreneur, he went on over a thousand dates before he met Annie and documented documented it on his blog, Bowl of Oats, and he also wrote a book about it called Dating Never Works Until It Does. (laughs) And Annie is also a blogger, and she has a blog called Hey Annie O., Hey, Annie O. Hey, Annie O. And she is an awesome designer, and she um, makes lots of awesome clothes and has good travel tips. So go ahead and check it out. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. We're here with Zach and Annie Oates. How are you guys doing? Doing so well. How are you guys? Great. (laughs) Just happy to have you. So we've been like uh, internet friends, and we have similar... Um, acquaintances, but this is the first time we've met face to face. I know it's shocking. Uh, I know, and I'm really glad that we're together now. Um, this is like a first date. This it? is a first date. <laughs> I feel like I'm, cor- I'm so nervous. I just want to impress you so much. <laughs> I'm nervous that I'm going to disappoint that the expectations are high. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to talk to you guys because you are six months down the road from where we are. You got married about six months before we did. You're almost at two years. So we're like experts now. You're pretty much pro status. <laughs> but the, so there's two things that I, that I'm really excited to talk to kind of pick your brain about. One is I heard this quote once that said the most important people in your life, um, are the people who are just a few steps ahead of you. Like sometimes we think like the ideal mentor is decades down the road, but I think the people who are most familiar with your situation are just like a couple steps ahead. No, so point. I feel like we can maybe learn a little bit about, you know, you're a few months ahead of us. You just had a baby. We haven't had a baby. There's a little couple of things that maybe you can give us some insight on. And then also like you're, you guys are both newlyweds like us. And I 
feel like it's important to share the perspective of newly married couples and how cool there's just a lot of interesting um, opinions about marriage and starting off and how hard it is. And I don't get that vibe from you guys. And I feel like what you're experiencing <laughs> is similar to what we're experiencing. So um, anyway, that's all, that was a lot of a lead in, but can we start by talking about maybe how you guys met and fell in love really quick? And then we'll talk about a little, the first year of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So we met in Moab the summer of 2015 mm-hmm. and it was just kind of a, I guess it was a singles trip technically, but it's just a bunch of people down in Moab and, um, we met on a hike. Yeah. So she was actually walking with like a girl I used to date and I was 10 paces behind her. But let's be honest. There were a lot of girls that used to date, so (laughs) it wasn't that unusual. (laughs) I could have been standing next to anyone. (laughs) I know it's actually been kind of hard to pick names for like our daughter because it was like, "Eh, I dated dated two of those. Anyway. So, um, yeah, so she was just walking ahead of me and I like jogged up to her. And I was like, hey, so who are you? Anyway, uh, a few hours later, we were kissed in her tent. And then oh, wow. two months later, we're engaged. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's a short version. That is a short version. So, um, Which, by the way, my rule is you can kiss on a first date if you marry him. That's the rule. So. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there going, I broke the rule. <laughs> um, okay, so you... How old, how old are you, Zach? I'm 31. And Annie, I'm not supposed to ask that question, but I'm 26. going to. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that's almost, it's very similar to yeah, how old. He's 33 and I'm 26. Um, so being in my 30s and you being in your 30s, I think we both have been around the block quite a few times and dated a lot of, of um, women. So how did you know that Annie was the right one for you? Especially in two months. Um, so after one snog, you must be a really good kisser. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, you were wearing the right lip gloss that day. (laughs) Um, so, you know, by the time I'd met Annie, I'd been on over a thousand dates, right? I keep track. I kept track. I had like spreadsheets. I mean, like it was all very like scientific and, and quite pathetic. Um, so when I met Annie, I had my list boiled down to like what I was looking for. I was looking for a beautiful, positive leader who put God first and was kind. And, like, that was what I was looking for. And when I met Annie, I was like, boom, 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 boom. I mean, she just nailed everything right on the head. And honestly, so as as crazy as this sounds, when I met Annie and when we, like, you know, when we kissed, I was kind of like, does she even, is she even interested in me? Like, (laughs) as we were kissing, I was like, does she know that she's kissing me? Like, because she's not like a very flirty person. And that's how I always knew that other people were interested is that they were super flirty, touchy. Mm -hmm. Annie was just like nothing. And then like kiss. And I was like, oh, (laughs) and I wasn't quite sure like how, um, how to take that. And I wasn't even sure if it was going to go anywhere. And quite frankly, to be honest, I, I, um, it wasn't like fireworks, you know, it was like kind of like this, like smoldering of like, oh, wow, I like this. And then it just kept on like growing and growing and growing. And it got to the point where um, I had, I wasn't even sure if I loved her, but I was so convinced that I wanted to marry her because like of how cool she was and how like she was the person I could be best friends with forever. I was ring shopping and we hadn't even said like, I love you. And <laughs> never f- talked about marriage. No, the first time we talked about marriage was when I got down on my knee and I pulled out the ring. 
And you're like, let's do this. Let's do this. So wow. what happened was, is right after we met, it was really interesting. I was That's neither, daring. Yeah. Yeah, super like yeah. 1950s and, you know, like, you know, paid off. Yeah. So now, granted, when I proposed to her, like, the ring, I didn't, I just had like a, a CZ stone mm-hmm. as the main he stone. He wasn't that sure I'd say yes. You don't want to invest in a in a diamond just yet. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and the store only took in-store credit. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to go, like, buy the diamond as well if she's going to say no, then I have to return it. And like, so anyway, so I didn't have the diamond in it when I proposed to her. So we had to pick that up afterwards. But um, when... When I was like not sure if it was gonna go somewhere or not, like I w- I didn't quite have that like love feeling yet, but I had like a lot of like. I literally prayed every single day, and I was like, God, if this is wrong, tell me now because I'm going for it. She is my love, and I'm gonna choose to love her. And it wasn't like something that just hit me. It was something that grew, which was unlike any other relationship I'd had. So I knew there was like something, something different there. But that phrase of choose your love and love your choice mm-hmm. is so real. You really can choose to love someone. I love it. Yeah. And for me, Zach was just a unicorn. I met him and he just met like every, all my expectations and things that I. You're like, how do yeah. you exist? Yeah, we're like, yeah, <laughs> you only exist in my dreams. I, I remember telling my friend like the day we met, I remember saying, Kara, I'm in love. I mean, I was like half joking, but I was kind of serious. (laughs) Yeah, one of us was a really good kisser. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Okay, so your love story is adorable. Um, So is Annie. (laughs) (laughs) So the next question I think we have is um, I want to hear about your first year of marriage. Like what, what were the high points, low points? What are some of the things that you learned or maybe some expectations that you had that either didn't get met or cultural norms out there that you found to be true or not true. I don't know. I'm leaving this one open to you, but tell me about your first year. I don't know. Everyone kind of scared me a little bit. They're like, oh yeah, the first year of marriage is, it's the toughest year. Um, but I, it wasn't for us. I mean, Zach's easygoing. I'm well, easygoing. Technically it was the toughest year because it was the only year. Yeah. It was also the easiest year at the same time, right? There we go. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> great. It's been the toughest and the easiest um, but like everyone, so on my mission, I know I, I hate stories that start. Here we go. But Let's, here we go. <laughs> so one time on my mission, so it was, um, my first year of my mission was like the worst year of my life. And it was, you too. Yeah. I it, did not enjoy it. No, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't have fun. Like I didn't, and not like mission is supposed to be fun, but like, I like almost hated it. Like I woke up every single day with like a knot in my stomach of like, what is this? And then I hit this, like, really interesting point in my mission where it was a super low point. You know, I just had, like, an emergency transfer because I couldn't get along with my companion. And I was like, I'm incompatible with humans. Like, I will never be married. We are so similar. This is crazy. I was like, literally, I remember writing in my journal, like, I am an unlovable person. Like, only God can love me, you know? And it it was really hard for me emotionally. And then something just like clicked, which was, it's not about obedience, right? Obedience. Like to me, the mission was like obedience, obedience, obedience. And then I realized that when Christ was asked, what's the most important law? He didn't say obedience. Mm -hmm. He said love. Yeah. And so when I finally like understood that, yeah, obedience is the first law, but love is the greatest, 
then all of a sudden I wasn't like so stressed out about leaving the apartment at one minute before we were supposed to because my companion like wasn't ready. Excuse me, one minute late because my companion was ready. But like I'd shine his shoes, right? I wasn't worried about like is my companion up on time? I'd make him breakfast. And the second year of my mission was up until that point like the best year of my life. Wow. It was so much fun. I loved it. I was stress-free. I just like I was there just to to love. And I found um th- I found my first year of marriage to be very similar. Mm-hmm. As far as like you know, there's so many little things that you could focus on, but I just focused on trying to trying to grow that love every day. We have an adopted grandma and she told us when we got engaged, she goes, you've made your choice. Now you spend the rest of your life making it the right choice. Mm. Oh, I like that. And that like really stuck with us Mm -hmm. and everything that we've done has been trying to make it the right choice. And like, yeah, did, did like, for example, one of like my problems, you know, when you like come home from a mission and every other sentence starts with like when I was on my mission, mm-hmm. right? Well, I got married and I had just spent the last thousand dates <laughs> with other girls. And so all of my stories were like, oh, one time on this date, one time on this date. And here we are on the honeymoon. And I'm like, oh, man, one time on this date. And she was like, done. She was like, would you stop talking about other girls? <laughs> And that was like, it sounds weird, but that was like genuinely hard for me because my blog, you know, I I was writing a book about it. Your social life. My social life, my hot tubbing, everything in my life revolved around dating. Now all of a sudden I'm like married. It's like this kind of like identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, well, if I'm not like the dating guy, like who am I? And turns out I'm the guy who's lucky enough to have like a rock star wife, right? So it just was that, that was like the hard thing for me was learning how to transition into uh, a new a new paradigm of being a husband, not like a dating guy. Right. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, that your first year was not as hard as you, as everybody said it would be. What, um, tell me more about that. Like, so- how has it been? I mean, it was definitely an adjustment, but... What was an adjustment? <laughs> yeah, let's dig. Let's dig a little bit. Thanks for asking um, questions for us. Adjusting. We're not on the clock right now, right? Dr. Nate? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you your bill. Oh, thank you. I don't know. I think just, like, being aware of, like, what sets the other person off and and cues of they're uncomfortable or they're tired or, you know, just... I get uncomfortable? Just little things like that. Just that we... Yeah. <laughs> It, you kind of learned to pick up on, because we, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time together before we got married. That's right. true. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was like, like a crapshoot because um, you're like, here we go. Well, because because <laughs> we dated for two weeks in person before we got engaged. Ten, Be- well, yeah, ten we ten days. I went to Asia for a month, and then yeah, and then she came back, and we got engaged two weeks later. So it was like. Yeah, less than a month that we had, like, actually spent time together. Mm -hmm. And then we get engaged. We're together for, like, another couple weeks. And I'm off to Dallas for work. And I'm, you know, I'm there until we get married. Like, literally until days before we get married. So we didn't really have a lot of time to hang out. Um, So it was kind of a risk. But honestly, (laughs) she's she's the middle of six kids and is just so chill about 
everything. And so I'm like, hey, do you want to, like, I really want to do this. Do you want to do that? She's like, sure. <laughs> and then whenever she, like, has a strong opinion about something, it's like, yeah, we'll do it your way because every other time I get my way, right? right. So it's she's she's super flexible. Um, and another thing is she's also, like, a very energetic, fun, high-energy person, right? And my mother always told me that, like, I needed to marry someone who was, like, Calm and quiet. Could, like balance you <laughs> out. It would balance me out. And those are the girls I dated, and it was so boring. Like it was just like, it was horrible. <laughs> so when I met Annie, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have fun, you know? Because my mother would always tell me she'd be like, Zach, in dating, be yourself, just not all of yourself, oh. you know? <laughs> and that's like discouraging. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, yeah. I wanted to marry someone who was like fun. Who embraced now, all of you. Yeah. My mother was like, that'd just be like way too much. Yeah. But like the people who were quiet and like reserved and, you know, they just, they just didn't appreciate the energy because you could ask Annie, I really have two energy levels, which is like awake and asleep. Right, so like that—that's it. On no, and no off. bad days. There's no waking up moody. There's—it's just happy and happier. Yeah, that's awesome. But, but that was so. That is one thing about marriage, right? Is that with your friends, you can—you know—you wake up and uh, they're having a bad day, or like they say something rude to you, be like, "I'm out." Mm-hmm. Marriage. You're you wait. S- still sleeping in the same bed together. You're yep. still breathing the same oxygen. And you wake up on a Saturday morning with like nothing on the calendar and you say something rude. And it's like, you've got that all day. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, it follows you around, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and like you said, everybody told us that marriage would be so hard. And it's not like it's all easy. But it's easier than they said it would be. It's not like a nightmare. Yeah, it's it's easier than dating. And to me, dating was great. Like, there were hard things. There were lonely times, right? Like, especially the older you get and the more people are like, Zach, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? You don't ask someone that. Like, you know, the more I got those questions, like, the more frustrated I became in myself and the more, um, the more I started to wonder, like, Oh, you put her down. Oh, put put little Zoe down, and she's she loves to be held. She was doing so well, and then my mother in law came into town, and oh, excuse my, me, my mother in law. Sorry, your mother. My mother came to town, like would not put her down for like a week and a half. So now she's been spoiled, and now yeah, she's, she's been, been spoiled. kind of spoiled. Yep, exactly. Um, but I think it's just so important that in that you. Uh, oh wait, I totally forgot what I was even saying. Um, Whatever it was, it was important. You're talking about how much you hated dating and marriage is easier oh, than dating. thank you. Wow, yeah, one of us welcome. was listening. That's, um, my jo- that's, my, that's our job, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it's just like a different, it's a different kind of hard. And the hard is less hard than dating. And the rewards are so much better. Because so much I better. get to hang out all the time with my best friend. And I hear, I heard that from people and I never believed it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Like there is no one I'd rather hang out with than Annie I guess Zoe's all right. She's she's joined the team and she's been she's been a good addition. Yeah, she's a good teammate. She doesn't seem too fussy. No, she seems right. pretty go with the flow. She takes after her dad, huh? <laughs> huh? <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm curious. Before we were talking a little bit about how people kept warning you about marriage and they kept warning you about oh it's only going to get harder after this. What were some of the things that you heard? What were some of the things they warned you about? 
Um, well, we were engaged. Everyone said, oh, being engaged is the worst. And then, you know, we're in the first two weeks of marriage. Oh, the first two weeks of marriage are the worst. It kind of just seemed like we there was a lot of... Well, not everybody was negative. Whatever obviously. phase of life you were yeah, in, there well, was somebody saying, "Oh, that's the worst. That's yes, the worst. That's something the bad is coming. You're having, <laughs> a, you're pregnant. Oh, pregnancy's the worst. Yes. Oh, the first kid is so hard. You know, it's so. I don't know. Um, there was just. I feel like most, not most people, but there were people that whatever phase we were in was the hardest phase. Right. And I don't. Or, I don't or know. like, I felt like it was more so like. Whatever phase we're in, the next phase was going to be the hardest. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, you just you're, wait. You're happy now, but just wait. Just yeah. it's like this constant, like this ominous, like thing that was going to happen. And I don't know. Every single stage in my life has been happier than the last. And marriage is no exception. So, and you, fatherhood you, is no exception. Do you think that that has more to do with you and your attitude, or do you think that's just like? Did you just get lucky, or is that just kind of a truth? I I honestly think a lot of it does have to do with just, like, are you an optimistic person or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. people who are optimistic, they'll, like, find the good. People yeah. who aren't will can, notice the bad. Do you think bad. you can teach yourself to be optimistic, or do you think it's... Oh, totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah, so one thing, one thing that I've done to be optimistic is, like, um, so I keep a journal, Right. And every single day I write down two ways. I saw the hand of God in my life that day, every single day. Haven't missed a day in like five years. That's great. And it has been so helpful for me to see that because I just my gratitude for what uh, opportunities God gives to me have just like exploded once I saw how much he actually how evident his hand is in my in my life. That's awesome. So I think that's really important to, um, that's an important point to, to focus on not only as a single person, but as a married person, like the, the, the type of gratitude, how do I, I can say this, I promise my words are coming. So did you ever, have, did you ever play the, the punch buggy game or slug bug yeah, yeah. growing up? Uh-huh. Um, I used to play that with my brothers. We'd be on a road trip and whenever you see a, like a Volkswagen bug or beetle, you punch the person next to you until they tell you what color it was. Uh huh. Slug bug, what color? And I never, driving down the road, see see slug bugs. I never see them. But when you play the game, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I find, I feel like life is similar in that you find what you're looking for. And if you have an attitude of gratitude, if you're looking for reasons to be grateful, if you're looking for uh, like blessings, if you're looking for the good things in your partner, if you're looking for... I mean, even in conference, we had that talk that... Who gave the talk that talked about the list that the wife was making of all the things her husband was doing wrong? Oh, Irene, yeah. Irene. President Iring. Was it? No, 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 it wasn't. It, regardless, there was a talk in, in <laughs> right. conference in the most recent session, and uh, I guess it was October 2017, For if you're listening to this in the f- far future. Thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> but the talk in conference said, like, there's this wife, and she was so frustrated with her marriage, and she was getting frustrated with her husband, and so she started keeping a list of all the things that he needed to do better to make their marriage better. And the longer the list got, the more frustrated she got, and the more um, her husband disappointed her. And it got to the point where, like, the list itself was becoming a weight on their marriage because that's all she could see was the negative things and none of the positive things. And then when she finally gave up the list, like, I think her marriage improved is what the... Yeah, she said it was really difficult to erase the list, but when she finally did, things turned up. 
So, yeah, you find what you're looking for. And yeah, and, like, if you want to... I always tell people, you know, if if you want to hear the voice of God, listen. If you want to see the hand of God, look. If you want to feel the hand of God, serve, right? It's like, it's not that that God or goodness isn't there because it's just that sometimes we choose to turn away from it. And mm-hmm. and I believe with all my heart that, you know, there's this great poem, Desiderata by Max Ehrman. And at the very end, he says, for the world with all its sham and drudgery is still a beautiful place. And I believe that with all my heart. It is, the world is so beautiful and there's so many opportunities out there. There's an abundance of joy. And it's like, none of us, are undeserving of love or happiness. It's just we choose not to take it. And yes, there are people who who may have sicknesses or disease that kind of prevents them from from fully grasping that without help or, or medication. I understand that. But for for everyone else, it's like all you have to do is choose. And it's there. Yeah. And how, it's just such a beautiful concept. Yeah. And how you see your struggles is yeah. a huge, I mean, yeah. Being able to submit to the will of God and be grateful for the journey, I think is, is huge. Um, so a little topic shift. My Angie and I were talking the other day about, um, she was listening to an old podcast and she was really inspired by um, some rituals that some of these, some couples were talking about. And I was wondering if you guys have any like rituals that have helped you in your first year of marriage that have kind of like contributed to you being having a great relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we're both um, preaching my gospel missionaries, so oh, nice. we're very familiar with the uh, companionship inventory. It's done weekly. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's uh, the 13 steps in chapter eight. I still remember that from my mission. Uh. And step 13 <laughs> is the companionship inventory. And it goes through and we've kind of like adapted it, knowing that there's like a few key things that that really, and maybe, maybe we can talk about this first. Yeah. So there's a few key things that I've seen in like the first year and like from all my research and I've read books about this and just seen it. A few key things that make the first year of marriage really, really hard, right? One is family. Either having too much involvement from family or talking bad about family. Yeah. Okay? Uh, two is intimacy, right? Not, not really communicating about uh, what, what you want, understanding what the other person wants. Are you talking intimacy, like emotional intimacy, or are you talking sex? No, I'm talking sex. Okay. Yeah, we're talking We can, talk, we can say the word sex. Okay, we're talking... Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure about your uh, viewer age. Um, so, yeah, sex. This is a marriage podcast. We can acknowledge the existence of sex. <laughs> um, three was money. Either having, like, too little of it or not communicating about how to spend it. Uh-huh. Uh, four is communication, both with expressing the good things and the, like and the, resolving the issues. Yeah, the irritants. Yeah. Uh, and then five is forgetting the small stuff. Like flowers, notes, massages, um or even things like new experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, we were like looking at those things, I was like absolutely committed and Annie and I had lots of talks about this when we were Skyping. Because, you know, you, like, can't make out over Skype, apparently. So <laughs> so you could just have soul talk. Yeah, so all we had to do was just, like, talk, which, you know, ended up being a great experience. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that we decided was since we got um, engaged, we decided that we would have companionship inventory every Sunday. So every Sunday night, we sit down, and I offered Annie a reason why I love her specifically and why from that week, 
and she offers one to me. And then I ask, what can I do to improve or be a better husband? And she responds. And then she'll ask, and I never have anything to say. <laughs> um, but truly, though, I don't think I've, like, ever once said, like, because truly, like, the reason our marriage is so good, okay, at the end of the day, the secret is marrying Annie. Okay, so <laughs> I've already got that one locked down. But, um, and then we talk about money. Like, I show her the Mint account that's, like, the app on my phone, show uh-huh. her where we're at, how much money we spent that week. Um, and then we set our schedule for that week about, like, here are the big things going on. And, like, that's what we do every single Sunday. Seems, like, very similar to our mm-hmm. companionship inventory. Almost exactly the same yeah. recipe. Yeah. Because it, it works. Like, and in Preach My Gospel, like, I was adamant, especially my second year, about having those. And it was, it was so good because, <clears throat> you know, in addition to, like, real-time feedback— so we do that too. I learned that at uh, doing management consulting is they do something called real-time feedback. Which means if someone bugs you in that moment, you can tell them politely by saying, this is some real-time feedback. Real-time feedback? Real-time don't time do feedback. that. Real-time feedback. <laughs> Good. Way to bring but then, that like, up. Don't abuse that privilege. <laughs> but at the end of the week, if there's like any of those lingering things, it's like, hey, Zach, I'd really appreciate it if you would like, n- again, like, not talk about girls you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, I'd appreciate it if you didn't bring up, you know, this certain topic to your friends. Yeah. That's like, this is literally the most that she's cried since she was born. Well, that's so. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, so anyway, so that, those companionship inventories, that ritual is just something that I cannot stress enough. And honestly, I owe I, anything that we've done in our marriage. That is like the single most important thing. We started it when we were engaged and, and by the way, another thing that we did when we were engaged was went to marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. We went two or three times before, I think before we even ever got in an argument. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. We've been, how many times have we been? Four or five. We've been four or five times in our first year and it was Not the same thing. Not because we had something to go for. It was like, just we just want to have, <laughs> like, we want to go talk to somebody. We want to make sure that if we ever do need somebody, we like, we have somebody that we mm-hmm. can go to and, and that's in our corner. And we just wanted to make sure that we were normal and kind of like well, get some tips and. Well, and you have the tools, yeah. right? Right. So, it's what like, did you guys talk? Can you? Would you want to talk a little bit about what maybe what you learned or what you talked about in your first in your? Yeah. Well, so something that was uh, really groundbreaking to me was like when she was talking about communicating, and if he says this, and then you say this, it's not. It's don't take it at a surface level. You know, he's saying this because he feels you know, like deeper down, there's this meaning. And same for me. And so it's been easier to, you know, to kind of translate what's being said and what's happening to those deeper down emotions of of either insecurity or fear or, you well, know. And, and to get like, to get real with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like Annie, one of, one of her fears was the fact that like she never felt that growing up she was loved by anyone outside of her family. Right. It, it was like her friends. She had really good friends, but like she never had like a guy that she loved who loved her. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was like one of her fears. For me, it was like the similar fear, but the exact opposite of I've dated all these women. And once they got to know me, they didn't like me. Mm. So at some point, Annie's going to like get to know me well enough to not love me. And so that was like the singular root for each of us of like our angers, our frustrations, our fears, and understanding that allows us 
to be more sympathetic because when she gets upset, it's not like, oh, man, just like calm down. But it's like, what did I do that? That, that made me feel like I'm not good scared enough. Scared or yes. threatened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm reading this book right now, and it talks about how, um, like, if you're, your instinctual fight or flight mode, like, when you when you go to fight with your, emotion, or your partner emotionally or you shut down emotionally, that's an instinct that's embedded in your DNA, it's, it, and it's just how you react to stress. And the th- it's not effective when your partner is either shutting down or, or like, getting flustered and overwhelmed and picking a fight, it's not effective to just say stop because the, the more important thing is to ask, like, what am I doing right now to put you in this fight or flight mode? What am I doing right now to make mm-hmm. you feel unsafe? And that question will help you re- reach a resolution. But too, too often our instinct is to go, stop doing that. Like, stop shutting down on me or stop fighting. You're, st- you're screaming at me. You're not treating me nice. And it's like the reason that they're moving into that state of mind is because you're making them feel unsafe in some way. They're feeling threatened. They're feeling exposed. They're feeling like, oh, my gosh, my, my biggest fears are, like, right in front of me and confronting me in my face. And that's the instinctual reaction. So, well, and, and nothing we have – exactly. And you, and you have to realize – that their perception of reality, another person's perception of reality, is the only reality that they have. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not like, like, I remember I went to the doctor one time because I was feeling really sick. And they couldn't tell me what it was, couldn't tell me what it was. And I was just feeling sick and ill. And, like, they're like, oh, it's, it sounds like your gallbladder. They did all the tests. Nothing's there. Nothing's there. And finally, I got so frustrated. I was like, look. I am sick. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. Like, I genuinely have pain. I can't eat a full meal. Like, I throw up all the time. Like, it's not It's not in my head. Do you right. realize? And so when I finally, like, went and found a doctor who would, like, uh, who would go deeper and, like, figure out what was wrong, they found out I had, like, severe gallbladder disease, you mm-hmm. know? And so I got it removed and felt much better afterwards. But it was one of those things that, you know, it... I, I wasn't making it up. And when someone gets upset and frustrated, it's not like most people just want to be unhappy. There's right. a genuine reason why they are. And so mm-hmm. acknowledging the fact that even if I don't understand, like I don't understand why she would get offended by me talking about other girls because I always felt it was a compliment when she talked about other guys because I'm like, I chose you. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> I'm talking about all the runners up who didn't make the cut. See, and in my mind, I'm talking about the runners up. Exactly. Yeah. And in her mind, she's hearing, you wish you were with them and I might not be good enough. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's important that uh, we understand the motivations, not just behind what someone else is saying. So we don't take what they're saying at face value, but understand the deeper issues. But we also take the motivations that that we try to understand what they could be perceiving as our motivations. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that's that's really important. And it only happens through communication. And and Annie and I, neither of us grew up in like very um, emotionally open households. Mm-hmm. But I had the you know the good fortune of going through like two years of therapy for myself. Right. And so I learned a lot of these tools that have helped us in our marriage to, to communicate and kind of get to the root of things as opposed to, like you said, just shutting down. Right. That's awesome. I know. I feel like I'm talking so much. Um, Is this a podcast? Aren't you supposed to talk? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
so the other thing you said you do in your companionship inventory is that you talk about the things that aren't working. So I want to mention some of the research behind that just to validate you and maybe to educate some of the audience. So please, I love validation. There's, um, <laughs> there's an actual, so John Gottman is a marriage love researcher. Him. Yeah. He wrote a, a book called the, um, seven, seven principles for making marriage yep. work and several other books and has done over 40 years of marriage research. And one of the things that, that he and some fellow researchers found is that, um, the happiest couples have what's called a low negativity threshold which means they have a low tolerance. They don't, they don't put up with negativity in their relationship. They resolve issues mm. quickly. So a lot of people, they're like, oh, to have a good marriage, you just got to be able to let things go. You got to let the, the little stuff roll off your shoulder. And you got to kind of just like get really pick good your at battles. Pick, I hear that yeah, all the time. Get really yeah. good at picking pick your, your battles. battles. And that's such a false belief. Like a fa- the research shows that that's not true. The happiest couples actually have high expectations for themselves. And they, um, when an issue comes up, they address it. Otherwise, what happens is like the Festers. issues they, mm-hmm. they build up and they fester and they create resentment. And then what happens is you, once you build up enough enough of those, you explode and they all come out at the same time. And they come out from like years or months ago. And it's like, well, you did this this one time and you didn't fill up the tires with there and you didn't, and you ruined the garbage disposal and <laughs> like. You didn't, you talked weird to my mom. You said that one weird thing to my mom that one time. And like all of the emotion comes out and all of these memories and it creates this distance and this gap and this anger and this resentment in your relationship. So, well, and then there's a lack of trust, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the lack of trust is, so am I doing stuff every single day that my spouse hates? Like, so why are they even with me if they resent me so much? If you hate me that much and I do all that stuff wrong, why are we? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that gets bottled up and wrapped up in in that. And it can be just resolved if you just take care of it. The thing I like to compare it to is doing the dishes. So if you have... And she hates doing the dishes. I hate doing the dishes. But if you put a pan in the sink that has tons of food on it and you leave it there for a long time, it's going to get crusty and it's going to get hard and, and you're stinky and it's going to be a lot harder to clean. Whereas if you immediately run it under the water, clean it, it's so much easier. Even worse. If you let a whole bunch of other dishes get stacked up on top right. of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So the faster you do the dishes, the easier they are to clean. The longer you leave them there, the more difficult it becomes to get off the crusties and get off all the food. And this is another interesting fact that I learned recently is your brain perceives physical pain and emotional pain in the same area. So the same area of your brain lights up when somebody hurts your feelings as when you break your finger or something like that. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So if you think about it, when you get physically hurt, like if you burn your hand on the stove, the first thing that you do is you pull yourself away from the thing that's causing you pain. If somebody pretends to punch you in the face, you flinch and you pull back. We do the same thing emotionally. When somebody hurts us, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, we pull back. We pull away. And, there's, and yeah. suddenly there's a space between you and your partner. And if we believe the scriptures, which says you and your partner should be one, um, if you have that pain and you leave it there, there's going to be a gap between you and you can't be one. So until you rep- repair or heal the emotional wound, you can't really be united. You can't be one together. You can't have that trust. There's been an abuse of trust or whether it's intentional or not, like... The greatest thing, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give your partner is the gift of healing. So Ange and I approach forgiveness that way now. Um, like if I hurt her feelings completely unintentionally and she's hurt, she'll just be like, I need you to heal me. 
And I'll be like, oh, I can do that. I don't have to admit that I'm wrong. It's like but you I, said about perception. My perception is my reality. Even if he didn't mean to hurt me, here's an example. I was hurt. So the other the other day, um, Ange was in here cooking. It was a Saturday. She was in here cooking lunch, and I had to run to the hardware store to go buy something for I don't know. I was working on something, and I'm like, "Wait, I'm going to run to the store so I can finish this project." And she's like, uh, "Okay." And I start walking out the door, and she's like, "Where are you? Go- why? Like, what did you say? Like, what? Are you just I, are you I just going to leave?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And she's like. I'm making lunch. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I'm making you lunch. And I go, oh. And I hurt her feelings by like almost walking out on her doing this act of kindness. And it wasn't intentional. Like I was just trying to do, finish a project and, and she was doing something really nice. And so I realized that I hurt her feelings and I'm like, okay, now I need to heal you. And I don't have to admit that I did something wrong, but I can say I did this thing and it hurt you. And I'm sorry. And will you forgive me for hurting you? And right. And, and that's the thing, right? Is that you can apologize for offending someone. Yeah. Right. It's not like, um, it's not like I was sitting there trying to like be rude and trying mm-hmm. to talk about an ex-girlfriend. Like an admission of guilt. It's not yeah. an admission of guilt. It's right. Just... Because, because in my mind and in my heart, it truly wasn't like a, a bad thing, but yeah. I could be sorry that I caused somebody pain, caused her pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you can cut, like you can stub your toe and do it completely on accident and you can emotionally stub your toe. Yeah. So now sometimes we use our companionship inventory time to heal each other. Like we go through the week and go, Hey, did you know, Angel be like, Oh, you know, on Thursday when you said that thing, it just kind of really hurt my feelings. And I'll be like, Oh babe, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Oh, I feel so much better now. Thanks. And we just resolve <laughs> it and it's done. So, yeah. and the other thing too, is that, uh, not just real-time feedback, but, like, real-time apologies. Yeah. You know, being really quick to say sorry because sorry heals a lot. Yeah. And it's surprising how much someone, like, just acknowledging that you were hurt is, is like you said, it's healing. Yeah. Yeah. It is the healing balm. I think that it's one of the most Christ-like things you can do. Christ is the master healer. And just being able to forgive somebody and ask for forgiveness is like a really cool gift of healing to give your partner. And and one thing that's I found super important with all that <clears throat> is giving genuine compliments. Oh yeah, you know, like truly expressing um, your love for the other person, even in prayers. I mean, every single time that we pray, we try to thank Heavenly Father for our family. And I remember one time, so I was single and I was going over to visit my, um, my great uncle Paul and he was on his deathbed. He'd been there for like a couple years. He was a pretty sick guy. And towards the end, he hardly ever spoke. But there's one time I went over there and I was visiting with Paul and his wife and his wife Delamay was around like, you know, cleaning up the cushions and everything. And Paul was there in his bed and he goes, Delamay. Della May. And Della May runs over. She's like, oh, yes, Paul. And she kind of sounds like Julia Childs in my mind. But she's, she's <laughs> Julia, Julia Childs. <laughs> um, she, anyway, and so she comes up to him and she's like, do you need your pillow fluffed? Or are you going to get, take your food away? And he just reaches up his shaky hand and she grabs his hand and he looks at her and he goes, I love you. And you're beautiful. (laughs) And that was it. That was it. And she just said, she literally like blushed. She's like, oh, Paul. (laughs) You know, and just went about her work again. 
And I asked her, I said, Delamay, how often does he say that? And she goes, every single day since we've been married. And that to me was like, wow, you mean I could be that old? I could be on my deathbed, like ready to go down to the grave and still genuinely love my wife and think she's beautiful and still be in the habit of telling her. And I think that is just like amazing. Man, that, you know, I love the doctrine that we have of, you know, marriages for eternity. And I just think in my head, if marriage is for eternity, why not make it something enjoyable? Why not make it something to look forward to, you know? And I feel like there's not that many people out there who have marriages that they're like stoked about having for eternity. Yeah. Like if I, if I walked up to just a random person, it was like, Hey, if, if your relationship just never changed from now until forever, would you be cool? And I don't know a whole lot of people who want. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree. Mm -hmm. Something that I was thinking about earlier was, um, when you asked like how, like when people would say, um, oh, this is the hardest part of marriage or this is, this coming up is going to be the hardest part. Whenever we would ask people, you know, whose marriages we, we looked up to and we really admired their relationship, they never had the same, um, opinion they always were saying oh no that was the best part we love that that was so fun oh that's so fun yeah first year marriage was awesome the first kid was so much fun you know being engaged was a blast like mm-hmm. and and those are the people that like the people that you that you're around that you're just like happy to be around that are uplifting you know that just like tony robbins your life and <laughs> those are the type of marriages that that i really admired and appreciated and those are the people who always said that marriage was wonderful mm-hmm. And I have truly found in a very unapologetic, not bragging sort of way, like this marriage is one that I truly didn't even dream could be this good. And I'm not, it's, I'm not like saying that to overcompensate. I truly, I get it. I I love it. I love marriage. It's so much fun. If you lined up the thousand dates I ever went on and you say, Zach, I want you to pick one person out that you could have married. It would be Annie. Now, looking back, I could probably count like maybe a dozen girls I could have married. Like, I don't think it would have been as happy, but it would have been as happy. It would have been happier than being single. Right. And it would have been as happy as you I could have made it, You could have made it work. And right. It could have been had a good life. Because there are certain principles like doing this companionship inventory, like making sure that you're speaking on an emotional level, not just on a surface level. Right. Making sure you're honest with it's each like other. It was what your adopted grandma said. Like, you made the choice. Now go now make it the right, go one. Make it the right one. Exactly. And, and one thing that um, luckily... That Annie had. So I love traveling. I've been to over 40 countries and I love just experiencing new cultures. And Annie and I have been to 12 countries so far together. Mm -hmm. And it was it's it was great marrying someone who also loved to travel because that to me, it is like family gospel travel. Right. (laughs) Like that is like and Annie has the same priorities. Right. And we both travel the same way. Like we like to kind of have a couple of things planned, but we leave at least half of the time just open to be, adventure. We should be travel buddies because that's how we. <laughs> yeah, we we love. We, traveling. we just did a Europe trip a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. that's that was our. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, that was good. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Um, yeah, but it's just it's important that the things that you value most that you guys have a thing together, right? Yeah. Like for us, we literally always have an international trip planned. 
Always. When we get home, literally in the airport, flying home from one trip, if we don't have another trip already planned, we're like calendars out. When are we going? Where are we going? You know? Right. And that's something that honestly is like really exciting because otherwise you can get into kind of like ruts, right? Where it's like life just becomes life. Monotonous. Yeah. Oh, it'll be easier to go another time. Oh, let's go. Let's push it back a few years or a few months. Exactly. You can always push it back and you can always, and like things just kind of get boring. But when you're looking forward to do something and it's a new experience and you're excited to do it and it's like something that you get to to have together, it's so exciting. And it just kind of gives you that thing to look forward to. Like one of my uh, good family friends, her family, always, they love Disney, okay? Now, I love the corn dogs at Disney, but they like <laughs> love Disney. So they have like a jar in their kitchen, and literally, it just is like Disney fund. And they're always, everyone's always dropping money into it because w- regardless of if they only go like once every other year, they're still all saving up for it. They're excited for it. I think that is like such a cool, such a cool thing if you like finding something you're passionate about and always planning. Always working towards it. Yes, yeah, exactly. I love that. That's great. Um, we're coming up close to an hour now. Mm-hmm. Before we end, though, I was personally really excited when Nate said that you guys were coming over. I know I'd never met you before. <laughs> but, um, By the way, you have great teeth. Doesn't thank you? Thank you. You do. That's I get to kiss nice those teeth all the time. My teeth? <laughs> get my lips right in there. <laughs> kiss her teeth? That's weird. Oh, wow. Suck on those little chicklets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. Wait, so, how long did you have braces for? Um, 18 months. 18 months? That was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. I had pretty... I had pretty straight teeth. Oh, I'm so glad I married a genetic beauty. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> Anyways, so the other day, actually, I was reminded of um, an article that you wrote on your blog. Oh. That, um, you were the one to read it. I was. was. I knew my mom, and then there's one other reader <laughs> was on that me. blog. That was you. It was me. Okay. Um, I had actually been reading. It was when we, me and Nate first started dating, and... I was still kind of in my denial phase of how I felt about Nate. I was afraid of letting myself go with the relationship. Especially like a love expert, right? Like I know, high I expectations. Was I was well, you know how it is, don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you're a love expert. I was just a dating expert. See, you get to you get to go to the next level. I am like, what do I do with all that knowledge? <laughs> you're funny. But I had been reading Alma thirty two. Thirty-six or thirty-two? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. And I had had this epiphany of like, this is like relationships. This isn't just faith. Yeah. And then I read your article and I just think that's such, it was an outlook that I had. You should read the entry that you wrote. I have my journal entry from when I read your article. So she took a picture of this and sent it to me and I was like, you need to read this blog post. And so, so here's the, yeah. No way. Did I make it into, I made it into your diary? You made it into my diary. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm in someone's diary. January 14th, 2016, when Nate and I first started dating. And I said, tonight I read Alma 32, 28 through 43. And I saw it in a way I hadn't thought of before, which was what your article was about. Instead of comparing the sea to faith, I compared it to love in a relationship. Verse 28 says to plant the seed and not cast it out due to unbelief or resisting the spirit. 
Sometimes the seed could be good and wonderful, but I choose to cast it out because I'm scared. Mm -hmm. We choose love and marriage and it flourishes and is exciting. But what happens in winter when it's cold and all the leaves fall off and the fruit is gone? Do we cast it out the tree now or do we take care of it and nourish it looking forward to spring and an abundance of fruit? With proper faith and appropriate nourishment, effort and hope, patience and long suffering, the fruits of your marriage the fruits of your marriage tree will be sweet above all that is sweet, white above all that is white, pure above all that is pure. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So wow. So I didn't quite make it into your di- diary, well, but but, but our, our, our wavelengths made it. Yes. Yeah. So she it sent me. So she sent me wavelengths. that, and I was like, "You need to read Zach's article." And then she read that, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, it's true principle. Right. Like love two witnesses." <laughs> yeah, and, it was just cool. Yeah, I, I I think, and another great thing, another great concept about that is sometimes there's good soil and there's a good seed and it's just not compatible. It's not that the seed is, it's not that the seed is bad. It's just that it just didn't work with, it's not compatible with that soil. Right. And so for me in dating, I always kept on thinking, you rotate your crops in farming. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite sure how that works in this analogy. You got to find the right seed for the right soil. But but let's, let's just say that Annie's Annie's sticking with the oats crop for a while. Anyway, um, sorry about making that joke. Um, no, but but I wish there was a bagel tree. <laughs> no, yeah, that was yeah. even worse joke. Okay, sorry. Back back to your insight. Oh, you, don't, you don't even get a chuckle. See, do you know what? I will say, if you guys were dating, you would have laughed at that joke. Probably. Okay, just want to I sympathy I, laugh. I remind Annie all the time. So funny. Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden you get married. Remember and it's when like, you used to think I was funny? Yeah. I always tell her, I go, if we were dating, you'd laugh at that. Um, yeah, but it, it just made me feel uh, better about when a relationship was ending, realizing that, hey, I really do want this to work. Like, I'm praying about it. I really want it to work. And it's just it's just not planting. Mm-hmm. It's not growing in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that she's not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. It's just... Not there. the soil and the seed aren't matched right. up, and, that, and that's right. okay. Mm-hmm. But when it does, and when you do put forth the work, because it does yeah. take some effort, right? Like it's I, a little bit of watering and a little bit of weeding, and yeah, you yeah. you have to, yeah, weeding truly. Like for me to really be able to fall in love, I had to make sure that all of those other like things that were kind of there, but just on the surface. I never really gave it a shot, but I never really let let it go. I literally just pulled them all up. Some mm-hmm. girls, I was like, I, I literally sent one girl a text message, and I was like, are we going to get married or not? <laughs> Hadn't spoken to her in a year, okay? And I sent her that message, and she was like, I'm dating someone. And you're like, and so boom, done. Number deleted. Deleted. Unfriended on Facebook. Uh-huh. Like, I was gone, right? Because... I knew that I needed to have that ground cleared if there was going to if I was going to truly give place to that seed because mm-hmm. otherwise I was going to be distracted by all these other little things. Yeah. And and it was it was a huge turning point when I finally realized that that growing isn't going to be just some big explosion and everything is like perfect, but it grows. And I know it's crazy because 
it, it we got engaged after two months from meeting, but it truly did like slowly grow, mm-hmm. and it, it grew in like a very real way. And then at the end of the, that two months, I was like, I don't ever want to have a day without her. Yeah, and I was just I was so glad that that we both gave it that shot to to work and for that relationship to to blossom because truly awesome. like you said it has been sweet above all that is sweet mm-hmm. yep and i love that um you continue to nourish that now so that you can have that fruit till it grows into a mighty oak right yeah and, uh, exactly so or a awesome. mighty oat yeah, <laughs> uh, three three oats jokes in one night. I don't know. It's, <laughs> we're here all week. Yeah. Um, is there anything uh, left that you wanted to cover? Like any last advice that you guys want to dispense upon the masses? What about you, Annie? Um, I don't know. Just marry your best friend. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. Go. Oh. <laughs> um, I would say. We'll always be best friends forever. No. <laughs> um, the very last line of that Max Ehrman poem, Desiderata, it says, strive to be happy. And that to me is like the summum bonum of everything in life. Strive to be happy. It's not always going to work. You're not going to be happy every moment of every day. But if you're always striving to be happy, and if you're in a funk, like... Um, Elder David Buckner, he just was called into the 70, and he was stake president of mine in um, in New York City, and really great mentor of mine. He taught me a lesson that changed my life, which was if you ever feel like something isn't sitting right in your life, get down on your knees and pray. Teach it to me or take it from me. Teach me what I need to know so I can have this feeling resolved or take this feeling from me if I've already learned that lesson. And so too, so too with happiness, you know, if you're feeling unsettled, teach it to me or take it from me. And if you're always striving to be happy, I truly believe that God wants all of us to be happy and that if we're looking to be happy, he'll put happiness in our path. I love it. Thank you. Oh, as that is Mimi just perfect timing. threw up everywhere. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who tuned in today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Zach and Annie. Before you go, I want to let you know about something really cool that we're doing. Uh, we started this group called the 1% Club. And the idea behind the 1% Club is that if you work on improving your, your marriage or yourself as a spouse, by just 1% every day, you're going to have a relationship that is in the top 1% of relationships on the planet. And the 1% Club is full of already several hundred people that are committed every single day to checking in with each other, seeing what they can do to level up their relationship, to make their marriage extraordinary. And I want to invite you to, um, to join us, to join the 1% Club. If you want to find information on it, uh, you can go to the blog post on mormonmarriages.com for this episode. And at the very bottom of the page, I'll put a link to uh, the 1% Club. And I hope that you come and join because I'm a firm believer that strong marriages, amazing marriages, they don't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. They're created intentionally. 
One thing that we believe is the type of person that you become is directly correlated with the type of people that you choose to spend your time with. So your marriage isn't any different. The 1% Club is an opportunity to surround yourself with other like-minded people who really want great relationships who can help you make your marriage awesome. We hope you come join us and make your marriage extraordinary.